Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host, and we are on to episode 132. So today, our guest is Kabir Singh. He is going to talk about certified peer recovery specialists. He is also the chief executive officer and founder of Fresh Start and the chief operating officer for Amatus Health. He is going to share a little bit about his recovery journey and how in 2013, he became one of the first certified peer recovery specialists in the state of Maryland. So on this episode, we're going to talk about what a peer recovery specialist is and what role they have in helping others struggling with substance use disorder. I loved talking with Kabir, I can really see his passion for helping others thrive and overcome all the hurt and pain that comes with addiction. All right, stay tuned for this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Today, my guest is Kabir Singh. He is going to share his recovery story. And we're also going to talk about peer recovery specialists and what peer recovery is. Kabir, introduce yourself. Thanks, Dwayne. Thanks for having me on The Addicted Mind today. I'm really honored to be here. So my, yeah, that's my name is uh, Kabir Singh. It's funny, Dwayne, because there was a Bollywood movie that recently came out. And, and it was titled Kabir Singh. And and th- the funny thing about that is it was about a guy that turns into like a massive alcoholic because he loses the love of his life and, and fails out. And people were like, is, is that your movie? And I was like, <laughs> I was totally before this interview doing some research and totally Googled that and got that. I'm like, I don't think that's the Kabir Singh I'm going to interview. No. <laughs> it's really interesting though. Yeah, I think there's also a uh, comedian out out your way on the West Coast that, that um, Kabir Singh. So there, there's a couple. I am neither of those people. Uh, I am a person in recovery, and I'm proud of that. 
And what that means for me is that I haven't found it necessary to use a minor mood altering substance since May 1st, 2011. If you do the math, awesome. Uh, got 10 years. Awesome. Awesome. So let's just start with with your story first and then mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about peer recovery and how that can help people and how people can use that as a tool in recovery. But first, how did it all start for you? So it all started for me I'm a garden variety sort of story here. There is an it's a, f- a fabulous, you know, theatrics to my story. There using started around 15 years old and and you know introduced to alcohol and weed. The regular progression there. You know, not a whole lot of problems in the household. Sure, we're, we're a regular family. There is no perfect family. Parents still together today, married, I think this year will be 53 years. Two older wow. brothers. Yeah, two older brothers that I, I really kept their noses in the books and, and, and didn't require a whole lot of uh, interaction with the parents and that. But I, ne- I needed a lot of help, Dwayne, when, when I was a kid. And it went unnoticed. And through that, later on through the process of recovery I, and, and, and backward looking and, and therapy and the like, I, I, I came to find out that I was just, there was a, a lot of help that I needed that went unnoticed and I wasn't able to ask for that. And so as a result of growing into my own age, um, as a teenager, making my own friends, I just gravitated toward the hangout section, really sort of no particular aim, not involved with any particular sport. And, and then just, just started using and, and a progression just sort of went on from there. And a lot of the, the regular stuff, measuring myself when, up against. Them. When you say like un, unnoticed, what do you what do you mean by that? So I remember moving to this area where I still am. It's called Bethesda, Maryland. It's, it's you know, a nicer area than I was previously home to NIH and, and the Naval Hospital where all the presidents go. It's a highly educated area also a bunch of affluence. And I plopped down in the fourth grade in this elementary school where we're learning the timetables. And I'm like, and, the, and then in the class, they had, you know, who's the best at the timetables. And I'm like all the way down the bottom in, in the right. third sort of. Interestingly so, my mother's also a teacher aide at this time, trying to get it integrated with the local community. And just, it's sort of, you know, on note, I need help here. Like I, and, and I would later come to find out that I, I would, um, I forget the name for it. I, it's almost like liken it to number dyslexia. Like I, I reversed right. the numbers. I just simply couldn't memorize the times tables. Just really felt inadequate in this new school and, you know, uh, didn't measure up. And so you, you, a lot of times I think, you know, this, and your listeners know this, this, this does play into adulthood and, you know, Hey, I suck and I'm going to do this. And, Absolutely. It sounds like you were there. And, you know, if you're at the bottom of the list all the time and that's what you're feeling and you're struggling and you and you and you don't realize like something is going on here. If you have mild dyslexia or whatever. Yeah, you feel like, oh, I'm broken or something's wrong with me. I can't get it right. And it kind of seeps into your psyche or your bones, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I you know, sort of fast forward. I, I, I try to become a quasi popular guy. Hey, uh, you know. I got what you need and at that time for when it first started. Hey, I've got, I've got the cigarettes and the tobacco products and you know, kind of like, you know, you, you want that stuff, go, go see Kabir and, and hanging out in the hallways and things. And I was able to kick the can down the road, Dwayne, though, I was, I was able to, you know, follow that expected trajectory of my household in, in, in our household. You went to the university of Maryland and college park, like my two older right. brothers went to, there was no, 
hey, let's go visit colleges, you know, very sort of strict immigrant father from India. Mother didn't have a whole lot of say in anything. You, you go to nobody should feel bad for me. I mean, my parents right, paid for right, me. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I got a you know they paid for me to go to University of Maryland. I went, and it was there where everything sort of kicked up a few notches. Right, and we're starting right. to talk about like pills and cocaine and, and things like you know. It's not. But just, you've got this kind of pain inside. It sounds like at the same time, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Where it's like, yeah, I've got all this stuff on the outside. You know, it, it looks good. I've, I've got parents that are together i've got support i've got all this stuff but you got this pain inside you you're exactly correct and even with the previous theme that i was talking about i I sort of snuck in the back door at college park so i didn't i kind of hanging out senior year of high school didn't like you go to maryland right it's questionable even if i'm going to get in and and like a good addict a resourceful addict, not even knowing I'm an addict at the time, but having right. you know, capabilities that we, we find ways to persevere. I find this washout program. I mean, it was like they, they let like a hundred students in to University of Maryland who had a lower GPA and lucky to be an immigrant. You had to have some precursor events. Right, like right. One one parent hadn't gone to college, you know, some sort of thing in a minority status. And they let a hundred students in. You had to go to summer school right before freshman year, the second session. So they gave you a bunch of tools and, and, and then you were in this program the first year. So it sort of fostered that behavior of like, hey, I don't really have to do the work. Like I, I, I had my peers, they did, you know, taking SATs, taking all this stuff seriously, applying to schools. And I just sort of slide in through this program in the back, right? right. You know, right. And, and here I am in College Park. So it really bolstered my, my, thinking of outside of the social norms and mores of like, hey, I can do things my way. Right. Right. right yeah. So the story sort of continued in, in college and I and I joined a fraternity. And if anyone's seen any movies about that sort of stuff, it's pretty much that's what it looks like, right? These huge parties and things that go on and and I and it just sort of kicked into overdrive. And I I, I really picked a major based on how easy it was. I mean, I, I picked a major in communications and like, okay, I, I could probably, I can do this. Like, right. right. It's right. Set the bar where this is something I do. I'm not going for like biology, <laughs> computer science. Bar low enough that I can, I can do it, but yeah. not, not too high that I'm going to fail here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sp- spent time in college and, and, and a lot of it kicked and it was very difficult for me to, to see in that time, the, the unmanageability, there was friends of mine, we would party and we would do substances and they would stop. And it would, it would start trickling over into Monday for me, all, all the telltale signs that I'm, I'm sure you right. heard about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of in a way, like what you said, this kind of, I, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but that low grade kind of pain inside I'm not good enough. I don't really measure up. I'm not that great. I can't really do it. But I can do all this stuff. Yeah. I, imposter I, I can, syndrome. Yeah. Like a, like, yeah. Like, a bit of, like a bit of the imposter syndrome. And, and by this time, I'm starting to have some, some consequences. You know, DUI when I'm 19. A, a DUI right off of campus in, in uh, where the fraternity house was. We had an off-campus yeah. fraternity house. Yeah. Right at the stop sign there when um, when I was 22, 
you know, another DUI when I, when I got out when I was 25. But I, w- I wouldn't enter into the, the, the halls of recovery until I was uh, about 34. So how did you get how did you get there? How did you start to how did it go to the point from here to like, I got to do something about this? Yeah, so much according to my plan, again, my plan, right? It's, it's, right. Here it is. I get out of the University of Maryland. I, I, I get a job. One of the things that I know about myself through, you know, I, I have found my foundation in, in 12-step recovery. And, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that. There are multiple pathways to recovery, and that's what the peer movement's about. Right. But for me, I found my recovery in, in, in 12 step. And so what really happened was I, I, I got out of college. I was able to, oh, what I was saying was one of the things I learned about myself through the 12 step process was my, my heart was always in the right place, but my thinking was not. But I, right. But as a result of that first part of that, my heart was always in the right place. People often saw in me um, promise and, and that I was generally a good guy. But, you know, Kabir likes to really to like turn it up after 2 a.m. Like when we go home, you just just watch out for him after that. It, but not right. not a bad guy. He doesn't really, you know, get in fights with people. He just is kind of kind of wild, like likes to stay up till 8 a.m. Right. Right. But so I got a job from a friend and and it, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this. I'm, I'm 45 now. Every job since then, I've had the blessing or charmed life or whatever you want to call it. I, I have not ever needed to apply for a job on the internet or the newspaper. I've always had a job either through a business I created or somebody says, hey, he's a good guy. And so right, right. right getting out of school, I get that. I get a job from a friend of mine who's also at Maryland, his elder brother who's an IT company. I just I just get out there and I'm doing stuff, Dwayne. I'm like, I bought my first house when I was 24. Like I'm really wow. stacking up the social acceptability and then make it through, through my 20s. Uh, to find myself around 31 with my, uh, at that time, daughter's, my, my girlfriend at that time, my daughter's mom now. Uh, I'm 31. I've known her for six months. She tells me she's pregnant. I'm starting to to graduate into substances which are very difficult to manage. Very difficult. Right, right. So it's slowly increasing over this time. And it sounds like you were able to get by on your personality, on your charm, on your likability and all of that, but there's this undercurrent. Right. And and I'm able to duck and dodge consequences and 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 the things that you you very th- thoughtfully described me as, but but really, you know, falling apart in yeah, in, in yeah. many ways. And then in, introduce a child to this and introduce a relationship which which I was I was un, unaware of, I should say at that time that I don't know if I'm committed to this lady in this way. I certainly was not talking about marriage. We, we never did get married. I, I have never been married yet. And so here comes this kid. And I'm uh, now fallen into, into a place of unemployability, uh, dereliction, degradation, you know, right. often, often in psychosis and drunken stupors. Um, and I'm a father. And so, so, so they, her mother took her and they, and she decided to step out of that household. And, and I was just sort of left with myself in this period of um, around 32 years old to 34 when I would enter into treatment here, you know, locally where I am in, in Montgomery County, Maryland. 
Um, it was a, at that time, there was no Obamacare. I wasn't employed, as I mentioned. And so I had no insurance. It was, and I'm grateful for it. It's still there today. Um, a place called Avery Road Treatment Center, which you, you need 50 bucks to get in the door. And then it's like, you know, you sign a promissory wow. note for $5 a day after that. Um, wow. That must have been a very dark space at that it, moment. It, it, it was. It was a, a very dark space, a very uncertain time in my life. You know, how did this, how did this happen? How did this get this way? And all that stuff I mentioned I'd stacked up through my 20s and into my early 30s is like, you know, it's slowly falling away. Right, Not easy to right, hang yeah. on stuff like that. And so, um, and I'm left left with myself, right? Sort of living in a basement of a townhouse that I owned um, and sleeping on the floor with three perfectly bed, good bedrooms upstairs. Right. That's a lot of pain. Yep. It would be my cousin. Like I have a cousin who, unfortunately, he passed away in, in November 2019. November 18th. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, he, he, he was a lifelong opiate addict, intravenous user. And I, I would say that he saved my life in a sense that I, I never wanted to be like this cousin because he was just in such bad shape using since he was 18, you know, at that time in his, right. in his mid, you know, in his 40s. And just never really employed a r real pain in the butt to my uncle, my aunt. But a loving guy all the same. And and he yeah. came to the house in, in 2009. And he's like, you have a problem. You need help. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you, know, right. like, you know, the deliverer of the message was this guy who I loved because he's family. And I really did like him as a person. But, you know, I'm never going to be like this guy. Like, you know, that type right. of a real A real reflection for you. Yeah. And so it's, wow. well, you're the family subject matter expert. I did. I didn't know how many times I knew he'd been multiple episodes of treatment. What do I do? And he sent me over there and I went for 28 days. And, wow. and that's, that's where I, as I mentioned before, I entered into the, the halls of recovery. That's great. And, and learned, yeah, learned about the, the disease, how appropriately titled your, your podcast is. I learned about my addicted mind. Yeah. And, and yeah. What, dro what drove and fueled the addiction and really what we've been talking about here that I'm, I'm, I'm not such a bad guy that there, there's, there's things that are very human and frail about, about the, the, the human experience, my experience, yeah. that's totally normal. And I met others like myself. Yeah. And you could re to relate to people and that that's a perfect segue to what we want to talk about next. As you said, you know, relate to others. I can see that others were out there. Let's start to talk about how you turn this into something that can help others. And let's talk about peer support and what that is. And let's jump there. Perfect. So go to treatment in 2009, get out. I'm sort of picking and choosing what I want to do at that point. What I am doing, and I still do to this day, is I, I, I do at a baseline, attend my 12-step fellowship. I was in my home group last night. And so it's a regular thing for me on Sunday. So I make sure to do that. Didn't really do aftercare, didn't do a bunch of things that they talked about, but I went to the meetings and I started to feel more at home. I was with people that were like me. 
I started to listen to the similarities rather than differences. And I started to experience some relief. And all of a sudden, some time passes. And I'm, I'm like, wow, I haven't thought about drugs or alcohol in a bit. I'm starting to show up to my daughter's, you know, kindergarten, Hollywood, um, not Hollywood, <laughs> Halloween, you know, parade. I'm sorry, like, I'm like becoming a real guy, right? A real father, a right. real son, a real brother. And it's happening over time, but it wasn't enough for me. And so around 2013, Maryland introduced the certified peer recovery specialist. It's CPRS is what it's called here. They call it, in other areas, they call it recovery coaches, peer specialists, different variety of different things. But in Maryland, it's, it's, a, it's a particular certification right. offered by the state. They started to offer. I was amongst the first lot of people to become certified. I think the certification number started PR0001. So mine's, uh -huh. mine's, P, mine's PR0017. So I guess by the numbers, wow. I was seven. I was 17th in the state here in Maryland to get That's that certification. Awesome. Thank you. I, I went up to Connecticut through a recovery-oriented systems of care grant it, that was offered by Montgomery County. Went up to Connecticut. That's where the curriculum by, is offered by CCAR, which really they disperse across the nation. It's the gold standard. CCAR is the right. Connecticut Community of Addiction Recovery. Um, and I learned from the master trainers up there, a gentleman named Art Woodard and Phil Valentine, who are considered mas master trainer. I, I have learned like from the best. So you took all of this and put yourself in a place to like learn and grow and give it to others. Yep. I wanted to step out of the church basements, Dwayne. Not, not that right. there's anything wrong with it. Uh, I think it's been made pretty clear where my baseline sits, but I wanted to get out of the church basements while I understood anonymity in that realm. I didn't really want to be anonymous anymore. I wanted right, to yeah. become an advocate. And a year after that, as a parallel to, to being a peer specialist, I, I, I also uh, was voted in by the county executive here as, as a, uh, on the Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Advisory Council to the county executive. And at that round table, there are you know, the, the liquor here in Montgomery County is controlled by, by the local government it's not there you can't you got to buy it from them so that's i call right. them the local the local mafia so <laughs> yeah right. you have a, you have department of corrections board of education department of liquor control doctors lawyers and so at that table is a voice for the individual recovery for montgomery county and montgomery county is about a million 1.1 million residents so at that table i sit there as a voice of recovery, as as we talk about policy inside the county and stuff. So I, what I'm driving towards, not so much as recognition, but I'm starting to step out of the bounds of, of anonymous recovery. Right. I'm starting and bringing to, your story to others. Correct. Let other people see it. Correct. And that's what the peer movement's about, is those who want to step forward and perhaps not in a way like a like a therapist or a counselor uh go for that more robust educational route it, with uh, certainly with therapists yet it's perhaps some right will go right to master's yeah. level yeah yes. and so you can have a ged to become a peer specialist in maryland you, you do not have to have graduated from college you do need a ged 
So this is a training program open to really anyone who wants to do it to be, to be able to help support others. Great question. Uh, certainly here in Maryland, I, I do believe elsewhere, you do not have to be a person in recovery like myself. You can be what's considered an ally to recovery. And, and so the answer to your question is yes. A anyone can do that. There's no age requirement, nothing. Again, a GED, some about 48 hours of, of class time, 500 hours of field work, some 25 hours of supervision, not, not a huge um, insurmountable amount of stuff, and then a state exam. And, and, and right. you can become a certified peer. And so you're awesome. finding now that certified peers are, are in the emergency rooms here uh, across the nation. They're, they're able to be a part of the triage team. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about what peer recovery specialists do and, and how do you show up for maybe someone who's starting that recovery process or needs some support? Yeah, thanks for that. that that's a important aspect to cover here. So you, jumping back into my own experience, here I am in, in 2013. I'm a new, newly certified peer. Around 2014, I start to be involved with, with doing groups at the homeless shelter, sharing my story. A lot of them were, were in, so a peer group can often just, unlike perhaps in a treatment setting where you have a counselor or a clinician running a group, a peer group would be like, I grab one of the peers or in this, in another setting, we call them a client, but everyone's a peer in my setting, right? They're, they're equal right. to me. So I grab somebody else in the group who's just appear they're a participant let's say and you're going to run a group with me today and you're going to come up with the idea of today's group and what we're going to talk about and next week we're going to do so and so you're going to be doing it with me and so and, and that's just one such ex of example that that would take place at the homeless shelter and uh, right, we right. provide purpose and meaning and value to the participants we're all on the same level and the greatest one of the greatest things about being a peer I was on an assertive community treatment team as a peer, is the, the some of the barriers for counselors and therapists, hey, don't be friends with clients till they're out of your program for two years. You can't be friends with them on Facebook. Certain, do, do not meet them around the corner at Starbucks or McDonald's for, for a meal or a drink. Not allowed. All that, all those walls and barriers are brought down with peers. We are encouraged to do all those things. To engage it's on really like like coming as a, a complete equal to that because there there is like a high you know when you have a therapist and a client there is this kind of hierarchical structure already unspoken structure there but it sounds like this is like hey we're equal let's let's work together i'm going to help you i'm going to share my experience and hopefully that's going to help you share your experience we're coming we're coming as human beings we're, we're coming in as equals. I mean, it's perfectly yeah. stated for yourself in, in every, I mean, just as the word indicates, we're, we're peers, right? Okay. Right. That, that, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm certified. I did, a, I did, I did some work and I, but at a baseline, we're the same. You can, you can participate in co-facilitating this group with me just as well as I can. And, and I'm going to be here to show you how you might be uncertain about your ability but you're going to see how just how easy this is. And I can't tell you, Dwayne, how many people in, in the last, whatever the timeline is, those seven, eight years that ha have become peers, not so much by, by me showing up, but, but, but by being introduced to the fact that 
hey, I can do this. And now I'm now I'm working with the triage team in the emergency room. Like after they stabilize somebody from an overdose, they're calling on me. They're calling the peer over here to be the next level of communication. The person's coming coming out from the Narcan. Right. And, oh, wait, you're a person you've been you wait, you you you've overdosed before? You the doctor's son. Doctor has an overdose before. Right. The, exactly. The yeah. Right? The peer steps in. Hey, man, I was here three years ago and sitting in the same seat you were. They Narcan me. What? And you get to open this. Well, what, what did you do? And then next thing you know, there's a, a diversion to treatment. Yeah, that's equal without shame. Yep. And yeah. I'm going to hold your hand, so to speak, and maybe sometimes for real. And we're going we're gonna to go over there together. I know so-and-so that which place do you want to go to or which place best fits you. And we're, I'm going to drive you over there. We're going to go together and we're going to walk through this together. It is a, we walk together process and it really has brought down, I wish I'd see a lot more of the, in, in Maryland, it's not reimbursable. It's not Medicaid reimbursable yet. I forget the states. There are states that are way ahead of us that are, they see the value in it. Right. So that, that is the tough part. You're, you, the funding is right now through, you know, private hospitals and, you know, sort of rich systems who do see the value in it and can pay for it. You know, it, it, as you're talking, what, what I'm thinking of is, you know, I'm thinking of another person there who's in that state where you feel like you're not worth it. You, you already feel so much shame. You're already in the hospital and this person comes to you at your level automatically kind of pulls some of that shame away. And it just sounds like, it becomes encouraging. It, it it would create the environment where, when there's enough safety uh, to be yourself, change happens. I think. Right. Of of course, I think you hit the nail on, on the head and, and the core and the crux of of what happens in, in a in a peer intervention. Some of the most valuable. I, I happen to be sitting here. You know, I I, I do work in treatment as as you know now, and I'm sitting in a treatment center here in my office at the moment as I record this, but it's, it's about to be you know, lunchtime over here on the East coast. I'm going to go out in the hallway. And I honestly believe that some of the best therapeutic actions, uh, interactions rather that, that take place while these clients are here are what happened with me and some of the other peer specialists that are here. Those things during lunch, not to take away from what the therapists do in individual and group sessions, but uh, I, countless times I've had like, you know, those, those interactions. Right. And, and I think, you know, those, you know, therapy and peer support, they're different. They're similar and different in, in, in many different ways, but I think bringing the humanness to our connection is where people heal. Yeah, they, they do. The, the humanness of it and the bringing down of the barriers or the walls, the, the right. inequality that, that can often take place, right? As a person in recovery, you, you know, let, let's let's not label it alcoholic or addict. As a person in recovery, I've often felt less than my, my whole life. So what a better way to reach folks than to bring down all those walls of inequality and level out the playing field. I mean, it just, it sort of just makes sense, right? As you talk about it, it's like, 
who the heck came up with this? It's it's not it's not rocket science, right? But I, it's it's so important. And then I I'm thinking about when you, what you said earlier about you know taking this person with you and saying, hey, you can lead this group, and how that that tells them right in that moment they have value and they have something to offer the world and offer others. And so so much time when we're when we're feeling in this pain or this hurt, and we're feeling worthless. We don't we don't know that we have something to give. We don't. And 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 even beyond the the groups or co-facilitating, peers are, are walking their other peers into job interviews. We are doing uh, resume building, we're doing expungement workshops, we're, we're all the stuff that we've been through ourselves, right? Again, not, I'm not trying to create, you know, create a theme here of knocking on, on counselors and therapists, but they're not going to job interviews with you. They just, they can't. Right. I mean, yeah. And, and, and yeah, they're not going to um, disclose the fact that you know, they've, they've got three DUIs like I do, right? Right. And so how are we going to navigate this legal process? Uh, well, I've been through right. it. So we're going to do this together. Yeah. And having that support in that way and having that flexibility to do those things. And I think that's a critical component of of recovery. And I think there's also critical components for trained therapists who know how to deal with trauma and the nervous system mm-hmm. and all that. Really, I think for anybody in recovery, they need all these elements if they can get them, you know, as best they can. The wraparound is important. And, and I agree with you that assertive community treatment team that I was on was a, a really good example of that for, for the, your listeners that may not know what, what an ACT team is. They often uh, go to the hardest to reach folks. Um, I worked at a mental health services agency and on an ACT team and people like living in a, in a tent in the woods who just simply cannot get into the clinic. And, and I would go with a psychiatrist, with a social worker, depending on what was it. And we would, enter the woods and, and do some medication management, uh, get things back squared up, look for a visit. And then I would, hey, do you want to get, after, after they'd leave and jump in the van, hey, do you, you want to go grab a meal? Let's go get a Big Mac. Like, and, and, right. and you just, you see the lights come on. Like, and, and that's that wraparound that you're talking about that, that, that leads to outcomes. It just, yeah, it leads to outcomes. It's, it's just so important. And, and it, pays for itself you know when you when people get this kind of support they get better they add more to the community it's just a, a an overall great thing to do and, and and a great investment yeah I, w- I will say what one of the things that, about peers that that I didn't cover is more often than not, than not we are in recovery and it's very important that we as peers that I as a peer do the work I need to do on myself outside so that I don't mix up the two. The, the great thing about, you know, here in Maryland, I, I believe elsewhere, just like those counselors and therapists, we need to get CEUs. You know, in our case, it's it's every two years as well, like like a lot of the counselors and therapists. So we have to get, you know, 20 CEUs in, in a certain amount of domains. You know, ethics is, is a big part of that. And so we, we do continue education. We do uh, hone our skills and, and it's a requirement. But, uh, but just like anywhere, I think in any profession, if we don't do the self-care, uh, we may fall short and do a disservice to those we're serving. So that's an important thing I, I felt like I need to highlight. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because that ethics framework is is really critical to this work. 
and is especially working with people who are vulnerable and and in and in and in difficult situations to be able to have that structure create safety for everyone involved agreed agreed yeah so i'm so happy that you have come on to the website so i think you know this this is my like as we as we get closer to the end this is the question i like to ask if somebody's out there struggling and you had you could say one thing to them what would you want to tell them i would say that hope is always out there that if you feel hope there are people like myself that are here and we're holding the hope for you until you arrive that to never never give up i know i didn't and and countless others have not and to just take that that chance to do something different opposite of of whatever's happening now just step out of that comfort zone which is often discomfort right pain and misery that i'm living in try to step out of that and ask for help the greatest sign of strength is asking for help awesome i love it thank you kabir singh for coming on where can people find you if they want more information about you where can they go so i so i, I don't I'm not as as great as you are. I don't have my own website or anything like that. So you can, you can find okay. me. I'm not. <laughs> you, that's you too big a praise. Follow my my look at my Bollywood movie. No, um, the uh, the best place to find me is at Amethyst Recovery Centers. I you know I work at Amethyst Recovery Centers. We we have about 14 locations in seven states. So that's a m a t u s recoverycenters dot com. And you can always reach out to us there as well for help, 855-80-SOBER. Um, or just awesome. email me at ksing at amethysthealth.com. Right. And you also have a podcast too. Yeah, I have a podcast called Share. Uh, it is available on, on Apple Podcasts and, and elsewhere. Uh, Share stands for Service, Humility, Accountability, Recovery, and Education. That's the acronym. And there's a bunch of episodes on there. Um so please uh, feel free to, to listen to those as well. Awesome, Kabir. I will put all that in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. So go there and check it out. And once again, thank you for sharing your story. Of course, you're the coolest. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 132. Okay, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us wherever you find your podcast. That could be on Overcast, that could be on Google Play, that could be on iTunes, wherever it is, please leave us a review. It really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure, and I really appreciate it. Also, if you know of someone who can benefit from listening to The Addicted Mind, please share it with them. And if you'd like to continue the conversation online, think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in The Addicted Mind Podcast and click join. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you on the next episode.
It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.